0: Okay. All right. How's everybody doing today? Huh? Come on. Really? Yeah. Okay. I got it. Uh, You know, uh, it's here here at our Carnegie, campus. It's raining. I think it's also raining out at our North Platte campus. So it's just one of those days. Right, people? Just one of those days, right? Hey, well, listen, my name's Jeff. I have the unique privilege of serving as a lead pastor here. Uh, I'm just one of the pastors on staff, though. We have an incredible, incredible pastoral staff. Um, so, I, you know, man, I just am humbled by the team that God has given us. And these past few weeks, I've been able to take some vacation. How many people are thankful for vacation, right? Come on. You thankful for that? Yeah. 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 Man, we almost got more cheers for that. Uh, yes. Yeah, I was thankful for it, man. I was thankful for it, and I got got away for a few weeks, and uh, it was just great. I, I got a chance, though, to worship with New Life every single Sunday morning before I went and attended a church. Where I was at, I worshipped online with New Life. I saw the past three Sundays, and if you've been here for the past three Sundays for this teaching series called One Plus One Equals One, and the only way we can make sense out of that is if we also put a little tagline: God's relationship math, right? Um, but if you've been here for those last three weeks, you would also know that our staff hit the ball out of the park. They did a fantastic job in these past three weeks, didn't they? I mean, come on. They did great. All right. Now, if this is your first week with us and you're going, I have no idea what he's just talking about, uh, you can go to mynewlifechurch.com where you can actually watch the past weeks of this teaching series that's really been focused on marriage. Okay? Now, we also know that when we do a series on marriage, there's a lot of single people that are here. All right? We also know that there are widowed people. We also know that there are people that have gone through divorce and painful divorce. This is not our endeavor to speak on marriage to try to make all the rest of you feel like you're left out, all right? Marriage is a cornerstone of our culture and our society, and as a church, we preach on marriage because we want marriages to be healthy, but we also want you that are single at the current moment to know what a healthy marriage is because you play a part, you play a part in helping other friends who have marriages stay healthy. You play a massive part in that. And so who doesn't need to know what a biblical picture of marriage is? Everybody needs to know it. If you're a teenager and you're here, right? You're a junior higher and you're listening. You should be taking notes so that you can know how to pray for your future marriage. Alright, so this, this thing is really serious, it's, it's really serious, but this is the last week. So again, if this is your first week with us, please by all means, go to MyNewLifeChurch.com, click watch now, and you can watch those past sermons that I watched live. So I also know some of you are out there and you're watching live right now, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Today, today I'm going to wrap this thing up by talking about vision and hope for your marriage. Vision and hope for your marriage now vision is one of these things that comes quite naturally to me What that means is that when I look at the world I always see why we can't stay where we are and why we have to go to a new place and it's not that I don't, I don't like tradition or that I don't like staying someplace. It's just that when God starts to open up my eyes through a gift of just vision, just being able to see, you know, a, a church as an example of where we need to be or my personal life and where I need to be, then I'm more than happy to entertain the idea of moving from where I'm at because I sense God showing me where we need to go. But vision also has to incorporate one more very unique and important factor— A true visionary has to be a person that can also reverse engineer, meaning I can see where God wants me to be, and I can reverse engineer back to where I'm at so I know the next step that I need to take. This is something missed by many of us. Some people call themselves visionaries when they're only dreamers. They dream about a a preferred future, but they have no idea where to start and how to get there. Big difference between a dreamer and a visionary, all right? So with our church, I often will see why we can't stay where we are, we can't stay the way that we are, and there's this holy disdain, if you will, like I can't keep doing it the same way because if we do that, we're going to miss what God has for us. In the same way, that's how God sees your marriage. And vision is something that I believe comes from God because God is full of vision, So God sees where you are, but he also sees where you need to be. He sees it clearly, by the way. He sees where you are and he goes, I know where I'm leading them. I know the next step of what they need to take so that they can get where they need to go. Why? Because vision literally flows out of the heart of God. That's the only way we can even come up with an audacious series with a crazy title like one plus one equals one. That's vision from God. Only God can do that because when we look at humanity, we see man, we see woman, right? And we're like, how do those two individuals become one? I know that legally on a document, they maybe share the same last name, but how do they become one? That's part of the vision that God has for marriage because marriage holds a really special place in God's heart. It holds a really personal place in God's heart. And so that God has vision. God has vision for marriage. And if you're single, God has a vision for your, for your future marriage as well. well. Let me kind of give you an example of what I mean by saying that God has vision for marriage. Okay, Just as a whole, God has vision for it. Take a look at what Mark chapter 10 has to say. It says, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into what? One, One. right. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, what we just read gives us a very clear understanding of three critical things that God has when it comes to a holistic vision for marriage. The very first thing that you should take away from that passage is that when God looks at marriage and God has a vision for all marriage, is that God made marriage to be monogamous. Meaning God made marriage to be a relationship where one man and one woman, they share an intimate relationship with each other, and we only share that with one another. And that that no one else would ever come between that. That the ideal picture of marriage in God's heart is that in our lifetime, the only person we would ever be intimate with would be the person that God gives us to spend the rest of our life with. Now, how many of you are like me, and you're like, I blew that one? Nobody else wants to raise their hand? Okay, I got one other person. There's only two of us that are humble enough to say we blew it? I mean, just being real. But that was God's vision. See, so what's one of the things the enemy's trying to destroy? The enemy's trying to destroy the monogamy that's in the marriage. He's trying to destroy it before marriage. He's trying to destroy it in marriage, and he's trying to destroy it after as well. He's trying to cause us to be hungry for things that God never intended us to be hungry for in places that we were never supposed to be looking. That's part of the vision that God has. And last week, Pastor Nate, I thought, did an incredible job of talking about the purity that needs to be involved in a marriage. So that's first off. Here's the second thing. God made marriage to be heterosexual. He said it right there in the passage. He goes, I've made man and woman from the beginning of time. I realize that statement in our culture and our society is a controversial statement, and there's a lot of argument, and there's a lot of debate that's going on. Let me just say it this way then, okay? This is not, this is not my opinion I'm speaking to you today. This is, this is God's vision. It's not my vision, it's God's vision. I do have to also admit to you that God's vision is, is mine, And God's picture is ours as a church. But this is God's vision for marriage that marriage would be heterosexual. The the third thing that comes from that passage that we can clearly see that's part of God's vision for marriage is that God made marriage to be permanent. He said, Let no one split apart what God has joined together. God's the one who's joining you together with your spouse. How dare anyone or anything get in the way of what God has joined together and literally say, I know a better way of pulling this thing off. I know a better way to make it happen. See, when you simply pull back the veil and you look at what God's vision is holistically for marriage, it's very pure and it's very simple and it actually makes sense. But that's not where God's vision ends. God's vision goes all the way to a personal vision for your particular marriage. And it's in the form of a testimony. The testimony of your marriage and what it's projecting or proclaiming to the world that's around you. Do you realize that God wants to use your marriage like a speaker that's broadcasting something powerful to to the community? Here's here's where you're going to find the essence of the testimony that God has for your marriage to this world. It's found in Ephesians it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Please, as we read the rest of this passage, you have to hang on to that. That's almost kind of like putting on some glasses, like a filter, as you look at the rest of, of this uh, scripture. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But for husbands, this means love your wife, right? Just as Christ loved the church, what did he do? He gave up his life for her. See, the testimony of your marriage should be screaming to this world that you submitted to one another, just like Jesus submitted to the mission of the Father, and by living out the mission of the Father, he fulfills the very purpose of connecting man back to God as he gives his life on the cross and he raises again from the dead. So just like Jesus does that, just like Jesus is fully committed to the local church, you and me, that he gave up his life for us, so husbands, listen carefully, your job is not to be the dictator or the authoritative individual that just pushes down, you know, your rules and your your agenda and your idea. Your job is to be the most submissive leader that's ever walked on the face of the earth to submit to your wife like Christ loved the church, to love her, to put her and her needs first. And it's the same thing for the wife, the wife putting the husband and his needs first as if you're doing it to the Lord. It's a two-way street. So you know what it really boils down to? Here's here's the real testimony that Jesus has for your marriage. And it's the same for every marriage that's in here. So husbands and wives, if you're sitting next to each other, just grab the hand right now. Just grab grab her hand, husbands. Wives, grab grab his hand. Just hang on to her hand because you're getting ready to hear something profound. Here's the real essence of Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus says, I want you to be best friends. That's what he says. I want you to submit to one another. Submit to one another like your best friends. Now, if the person you're hanging hanging onto their hand is your best friend, just give it a little squeeze. That's a good moment to do that. Not hard, people. (laughs) The very first thing I hear is, ow. (laughs) It's a a little too much love going on. To be best friends. I mean, think about it for a minute. When you look around in our world, how many marriages can you say, wow, those two people are not just in love with each other, but they are best friends. What does it do for children when a mom and a dad are best friends? What does it do for the next generation? What imagery does it communicate to our world when they keep running into people from New Life Church and they keep running into marriages where all their other friends' marriages are splitting up and crazy things are happening, and every time they run into a marriage from New Life, they keep running into people that are best friends. What imagery does it cast into the community? It's beautiful. It's exactly what Ephesians 5 is drilling down to. It's not just saying, wives, you've got to submit to your husbands, and husbands, you need to be the leader of the house like Christ is. It says submit to each other, be best friends, and in so doing this, you will project an image of a testimony of Jesus Christ to this community. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because of this big statement. Healthy churches are built on healthy marriages. You find me, any healthy church... And I guarantee you, when we pull back the veil and we start meeting couple by couple, you're going to find there's more healthy marriages there. So then, if that is the case, which it is the truth, where is the number one place Satan wants to attack the church? It's in the marriage. Because if he attacks the marriage, he keeps two people on the sidelines. He keeps two people on the sidelines that might be leading a life group affecting 12 or 15 people. It keeps two people on the sidelines that might be serving in a children's ministry that could be affecting the next generation it keeps two people on the sidelines where they're not even attending church on a regular basis because every time they wake up on a sunday morning it's like that's when the worst argument happens is there any amens to that any couples here don't raise your hand any couples here just go you know we don't even drive to church together anymore because we don't want to have an argument other than kim and i But that's because I show up at 6.30. (laughs) That's really. And if I made her show up at 6.30, we're going to definitely have arguments, all right? (laughs) So it's just done out of love because she's my best friend. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. (laughs) Healthy churches, though they're built on healthy marriages. So what's going to give you the ability to accomplish God's vision for your marriage? What's going to give you the ability to do that? It's called the power of hope. Think with me for a moment, the power of hope, just hope itself without Jesus, right? Just hope itself. Think about what hope has done for you know, horrific situations where, where people had to overcome you know, just the, the most difficult scenarios that they've ever faced in their life, like a POW in a, in a POW camp that's being tortured beyond reason. Right? And the hope of seeing family again gets that person through some of the most difficult situations they've ever been in. What about a person that gets, you know, lost in the jungle or out in a desert, an explorer that's out in a mountainous region that, that, you know, gets lost in their way or loses whatever it is and they're, they're stuck out there. What, what gives them the ability to survive day after day, week after week, and sometimes months after months before a rescue even happens is the hope of a rescue. It keeps them going day after day. What about the hope of healing for the sick? Spend some amazing recoveries with people. Have hope. Now, add in the equation: Hope in Christ. Hope filled with the, with, at the center, at the core. Hope being the center of Jesus Christ in your personal life and in your marriage. Now, what in the world could happen in your marriage, no matter what the condition is? You put hope in Jesus Christ smack into the middle and what could happen? Man, the roof could blow off the thing. It could become the most amazing marriage you've ever experienced in your life. And by the way, God is the one who wants to give you that hope. Let me take you to a very, very popular verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me read the first part quickly. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, right? They're plans are for good and not for disaster, which by the way, isn't that cool? I love that. But look, to give you a future and a what? Who gives the hope? God. So right now in your marriage, if you need hope for tomorrow, and you need hope for a future, where's it gonna come from? Is this gonna come from inside of you? Or is it gonna come from running to God? And it's gonna come from running to God. The Bible's full of examples encouraging us to have hope, by the way. I read another one even this morning from somebody in our church that was on version that highlighted a scripture out of Romans, talking about how the scriptures give us hope. But here's an example of how hope is at work in our life. In 1 Corinthians, it says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and, Im- and um, immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever." useless. There's hope there. Hope in the fact that there's nothing that we do for the Lord or unto the Lord that ends up being useless. That means that we can have hope in our God. Hope through Christ for our marriage, knowing that faithfulness always wins in the end. It always wins in the end. That when you are working on yourself to be the best version of you, As worship to the Lord, it's not useless. God's using it for His glory. When you're working on your marriage so that it brings glory to God, guess what? It's not useless. God's working in that. There's great hope for that. So, back to your marriage. A marriage without Christ centered hope is literally a marriage that's going nowhere. It's like a marriage that's stuck in the mud, like a car just spinning its wheels. But let me tell you what hope will do. Hope is going to fill your heart with vision for long-lasting relationship that only gets better. That's what it does. It kind of causes your eyes to see where you're at. Yeah, but it allows your eyes to see where you're going. And it gives you hope in the moment. I want to tell you one thing about God. God doesn't give um, you know visions of hopelessness and despair when it comes to your marriage. In fact, God's going to give you visions of your marriage that are going to fill your heart with hope. So one of the things that you've got to watch out for is this, if God's wanting to fill your heart with hope, you've got to be careful who has access to the hope bucket. Who has access to that? Every marriage has this issue, by the way. If I could just draw your heart like a bucket, and we could put hope on the inside of it. Every marriage has, has its struggles, including mine. So Let's not sit around and try to blow smoke at each other, right? Marriage is difficult. Marriage is a hard, hard thing. Just about the time you think you got it mastered, there's a new, new wrench that gets thrown in. Just about the time you think, like, well, we got past that phase, like, well, we raised the kids, the kids are out of the house now, we got this conquered now, don't we? All of a sudden, you realize, wow, there's more difficulty. And then when you, all of a sudden grandkids start showing up, and then you're getting older, and now it's time to retire, and there's, difficult, there's different challenges. All along the way, there are different difficult challenges. Who do you confide in? Because whoever you confide in on this earth, you're giving them access to your hope bucket. What's God trying to do with your hope bucket? He's trying to fill it up so that it overflows the top, and it just it, it gives life to others. That's one of the things about the testimony of your marriage. It's supposed to be giving life to others, remember? But here's what happens. As God, as God is trying to fill it up, you're talking to people that keep drilling holes in the bottom. Because you're confiding in some of the wrong people. If you confide in people when you tell them the struggles of your marriage and all they do is tell you how right you are and how wrong your spouse is, you're confiding in the wrong person. If they are getting honest with you and also helping you see some of the things in your own life that need to change, you're talking to the wrong person. You're talking to people that are only drilling holes in the bottom of your hope bucket, and the volume of hope is going to decrease. So let's make sure that we're talking to people that are going to be Christ centered and godly, the kind of people that will comfort us, yes. In our, in our hurt, but they'll also get us on the right track, a Christ-centered, hopeful track that helps us to become the best version of ourselves, and not just keep shooting ammunition at our spouse. That's the worst thing you can do is just keep yourself around people that keep drilling holes in the bottom of your hope bucket. Get away, walk away. They could be great people in other areas of life, but they're not the kind of people to confide in when it comes to your marriage. So as God fills it up, let me tell you one more thing that's going to hinder it. There's holes somewhere at the top. God's trying to fill up, he's trying to fill the hope bucket all the way up up to here so it overflows, right? But your capacity ends up only being right there. Why do you think that is? Why do you think your capacity ends up being more in survival mode than it does thrive mode? What happens is this. These two holes that I just drew up here, they're from past hurts. And wounds in your marriage. And when you let past wounds and hurts in your marriage never get completely whole, they don't get brought to Jesus, they don't get, you know, brought to a place of complete healing, that's your max capacity. And now as God wants to fill up your heart full of hope so that it overflows and you become life-giving even to others, it just keeps draining out the sides. So these two things, who we confide in, and then our past wounds and our past hurts, are going to be some of our greatest hindrances of allowing, letting God fill our heart with a hope that allows us to accomplish his vision for our marriage. But when you allow Jesus and Christ-centered people to help plug those holes, right, and fill up that, those, those gaps so that hope fills up and it overflows, here's three quick things that you're going to start seeing happen in your marriage. First thing is, hope it's gonna allow uh, for you to give grace. Grace in an abundance. The grace that's needed for the differences that you have in your spouse. The grace that's needed to overlook offenses. The grace that's needed, you know, for when your spouse isn't changing at the speed you want them to change. There's grace there. When Christ is allowed to fill up the bucket of hope to the, to the max, your grace exceeds beyond measure and you start giving it away to others. What a powerful testimony. Just like God has grace for us, and as we bring our sins to him, he overcomes our sin with his grace, so we model that to one another at, in a marriage. But here's another thing. When Christ is allowed to be the center, the source of hope, growing inside of your heart and inside of your marriage, hope begins to paint a preferred, a preferred future that looks more like Jesus. It begins to paint this picture of a future that's different than where you're living. It's kind of like putting a postcard on your, um, on your refrigerator of a, a destination, a vacation place that you desperately want to go to, right? So maybe, maybe that postcard looks like a nice, beautiful beach, or maybe it looks like a skyline of a great city, or maybe it looks like a monument that you want to go to, or, you know, God forbid, it looks like Disney World or something like that. But anyways, wherever you want to go, Right? You've you got the jar sitting next to it, and you keep dropping the dollars and the change into it because you're raising the money with one day, hoping that that dream's going to come true. That's what happens when Jesus is at the center of the marriage. Hope fills up to such a place that you're, you, you, you go, one day we're going to get here in our marriage, and it gives you hope to get there. But hope, hope also allows you to see the treasure, the treasure in your marriage. Listen carefully. Your spouse is your treasure. It's not my opinion. This is what God has to say about it. It says the man who finds a wife finds a what? A treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. I think you could easily reverse that. Husbands and wives, if you're here, sitting next to each other, sitting next to you is a treasure treasure a treasure that is from the Lord. And if you don't value your spouse as that treasure, you're never going to be able to see clearly God's vision for your marriage. You'll never be able to do that. But when a husband and a wife value each other like a treasure, then they start aligning themselves with the power of God. And when the power of God is aligned in your marriage, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. Hope, hope in the power of God, it literally catches the attention of God, by the way. It's as if God's eyes are roaming back and forth across the earth, and he's looking for individuals, and he's looking for couples that will put their hope in him, and he wants to pour out more of himself into your life. That's what Psalms 147 says. It says that the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. What does it say that the Lord does for those who put their hope in his unfailing love? He delights. He delights. What's one of the best things you can have for your marriage? The Lord delighting over your marriage. How does it happen? When Christ becomes the center of hope in your marriage, that's when it happens. So just lastly, for those of you that are really on the brink of struggling in your marriage, for those that are maybe at a point where it's just strained, completely. I know you've been praying. It feels like nothing's happened. You've been praying and it feels like you're getting nowhere. You're praying. It seems like you're going backwards. You could feel like you're just completely lost. Lost. Like, what do I do next? I don't even know what to do next. Seems like I've tried everything. I've gone everywhere, right? I'm, I'm completely lost. What do I do? Maybe you can take these four principles that pilots are taught when they fly small aircraft around that when they get lost, they're taught these four things. First, confess the fact that you're lost. Confess the fact that you just don't know what to do next. Right? Then the, la- then the next one they teach pilots is to climb. Climb an altitude so maybe you can see farther. You might see a lake or you might see a town or you might see a railroad track. And then you can like, go towards that and you can maybe find your way. And then communicate. Keep communicating. And then lastly, pilots are taught them to comply with what they're being told. Like if someone comes over the radar, radio and says, I see you on the radar, you need to head south. You don't argue with them. You go, yes, sir, I'll head south because I'm lost. I'll comply. How does that, how does that fit into your marriage? Here, here's how it fits into your marriage. If, you're, if you feel like you're just completely lost right now and you don't know what to do next, first, let's follow these four principles. But let's put them into a spiritual component. Confess to God about your heart towards your spouse. Confess to God about it. Be careful who you confess to on this earth about that. Now, I think we need to, but be careful because you don't want those people poking more holes in the hope bucket. You're already low as it is right now, right? So make sure you're confiding in the right people, but confess to them how how you really feel. But listen to this, confession is not complaining. That would be a whole different C. That would be the wrong thing to do at this moment. So it's not about complaining, it's about confessing. What's the true essence of confessing? You confess so that your heart can be prepared for change. This is just where I'm at, but this is not where I want to be, confessing. Secondly, climb, man. Climb out of that negativity and that grudge-holding attitude and do it immediately. And then communicate. Walk up to your spouse, look them in the eye and go, I know we're going through a difficult time, but I want you to know right now, look at me in the eye, hear my voice, because I'm 100% committed to this marriage and we're going to make it through this difficult time and then comply comply with what the holy spirit says to you comply with what he says to you and what he's speaking to your heart and follow god's word comply with it comply with it i beg you to do that i just know one thing about jesus and that is this he has the power to heal every marriage and he has the power to take every marriage and take it from average and take it to extraordinary I've seen him do it over and over and over again. You know what I believe? I believe he can do it again. I've seen God move mountains, literally, that couples felt like were in the middle of their marriage. Instead of Christ being the hope of the marriage, it was some kind of infidelity that was there, like a mountain. I've seen God literally move the mountain and bring them back together again. I've heard heard spouses in my office sound like the lyrics of that song, Do It Again, that we're going to sing in a minute, where they say, I feel like I've been walking around these walls and I thought by now that they would fall. I've been walking around this marriage and I thought by now it would be better. What I have to do is I have to keep bringing them back even to the heart of that song which is, yeah, but Jesus hasn't failed you yet. And he's never going to fail you. Just like he has worked miracles in your past and he's worked miracles in the past of this church, I'm telling you today church, God can do it Again. Ultimately, God wants to take your marriage and He wants to make it this beautiful imagery of His love for humanity. He wants to take your marriage and make it an amazing, amazing picture of of the faithfulness of His Son Jesus Christ and what He did for all of humanity. And I beg you, church, protect and invest into your marriage. Invest into it like it's, like it's more important than any riches that you would ever have on this earth. Invest into your marriage and give it your best attention because it's the very thing that's going to allow, let the local church, wherever God takes you in this, in this life, it's gonna be the very thing that lets the local church have authority and power to preach a gospel of good news and hope to a world that's lost and dying in need of Jesus. So today... As so we get ready to sing this song, do it again, I would just ask you, come to the Lord and say, Lord, can, would you do it again? Would you bring us back to the passion of, our, of the youth of our marriage? Would you bring us back to the, you know, being completely in love with each other like we had at the very beginning? Would you bring us back? Would you do it again? Would you bring us back? Would you help us hit the reset button for some of our marriages? Would you fill our hearts with hope once again? Would you do it again? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. So, Lord, today, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we know that, Lord, only you can work miracles. Only you have the ability to do it again, to hit the reset button, to fill our heart with hope, because you have a vision for our marriage that is so far beyond what we could ever wrap our hearts and our minds around. You have this unique ability of taking one plus one and making it actually one, two individuals, and working as a solid unit. Lord, in the end, All of that's being done to bring you glory, to bring you honor, and to bring you fame. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that the marriages at New Life Church would do that very thing. I pray that over those that are here today. I pray that those that are struggling and going through difficult times would be full of hope. I pray that those that feel like they're on the mountain peak would have a renewed purpose and understanding that their marriage, they should be thankful that that things are going so well, but that, that their hope in Christ that's held them together, should overflow. They should thrive in it. It should pour out into the hearts of others. Be a resource to others. Lord, whatever you've given us, it's good and it's perfect. May it be used as a a gift to grow your kingdom one couple at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.